when we were planning worship uh, this week, the words of that song resonated with Jane and I as we were looking at the scripture for preaching today and the theme and just this whole idea that grace finds us as we are. I don't know about you, but you know, I, I grew up in a, in a family where kind of I, I ended up thinking you had to go to church and you had to be perfect to be at church. You had to be squeaky clean and have your life all nicely sorted and be religious Joe and that was it. And nothing could be further from the truth, could it? Because you are welcome and I am welcome, just as we are. We come empty-handed, but the reality is that here today, you and I can experience the touch of God for who we are. And we can leave here changed by the love of God. But what often happens in life is that we go through life feeling unqualified for lots of different things. Not just in regards to church and relationship with God, but we can face a lot of things in life, in work, in relationships, when we just feel overwhelmed and underqualified. Maybe you felt, uh, felt underqualified to do something. Maybe you've withdrawn from things because of that. Have you ever wished you could do what others were doing? It's not just something perhaps we think of when we're young. Often as an adult, you'll see other people doing things. I watched Chris Powell cut some moves on the dance floor with Anne Hayward on Friday night at Bev's wedding. And I looked at them and I thought, I wish I could do that. But it's not always funny stuff. Sometimes the truth is we really wish we could be like somebody else. We have a friend in our friendship circle and we admire them. We, we think, oh gosh, if only I was like them. If only I was outgoing like she is, as confident as he is. If only I was as funny. If only I was as strong. Because we go through life comparing ourselves with other people. We constantly do it from the youngest age right through. And we often end up thinking that we are not good enough or that we are just insignificant. When I was converted as a teenager, uh, became a Christian, and uh, at uh, my conversion, part of my testimony, if you like, my story is that um, I knew I was going to serve God. How that quite was going to work out, we had to wait a few years. But one of the things I started doing when I was about 16 was I started doing this. And my pastor encouraged me and took me under his wing and he took me out with him and I would just introduce uh, the offering or I would read the first two lines of a hymn and gradually more and more uh, experience came. When I started preaching, um, the one or two people in the church took me aside and pointed out that I thought I was a mini Mr. Petty. Because Mr. Petty used to preach and he used to have certain mannerisms. There were things that he did that I felt all good preachers should do, this being one of them. And I still catch myself doing it. This one is all my own. <laughs> but that was the thing. 
I even got to the stage, in all seriousness, where during, you know, in those days, it was a hymn prayer sandwich. You knew there were four hymns, you know? And in the third hymn, that was the preparatory hymn for getting ready to preach. That's when you had your polament. So I would have a polament, because that's what you did. And it took me years to understand. God didn't call me to preach like Mr. Petty. God called me to be me and that's okay it's okay to be myself the thing I think the Bible shows us is that God creates us in the way that he does for a reason you and I are unique the Bible describes it in different ways in Isaiah 64 it says we're just clay he's the potter we're a product of his creative action shaped and formed into something of worth isn't that a lovely description you are something of worth you have been shaped and formed by God you're a masterpiece you may have a twin but they are not as identical as you might think you are unique, a masterpiece. God made your life jar. Do you remember we started talking about this last week? Your life jar, a certain shape, a certain size for a reason. And the reality is that there are things we are designed to do and that we do them very well. And consequently, there are other things that we just aren't meant to do at all. It's sad to say, but oftentimes we do waste our time trying to do things that we shouldn't do instead of embracing the things that we should do. How many times do you find yourself trying to do things you don't want to do? Every one of us is different. We're made differently. We have different personalities, different likes, different dislikes. Some are taller, some are shorter, some have black hair, some have no hair, some have blonde hair, some have blue eyes, some have brown eyes. We're all different, inside and out. Why, when I said some have no hair, did you all stare at me? <laughs> we're different. It's okay. And that means we're all called to do different things. Have you ever thought about it? I mean, just think about it. What if I didn't want to preach? Can you imagine? Let's try something out here. This will be fun. Okay. Come on. Get up there. You go and preach. Go and preach. You go and preach. I'm going to play the piano. Go on. Get up there. This will be great now. Are you ready? You go preaching first then. I'll warm up here. Come on. Go. Right, okay. You preach. Right, okay. Right, I'll so. play, not the same time. No, okay, that's fine, that's fine. Come on. Right, all of you are sinners, <laughs> and you need to atone for your sins. According to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 4, 1 to 4. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done and shall do against any of them. If the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin which he hath sinned. Come on! A young bullock without blemish until the Lord for a sin offering. 
and he shall bring the bullock unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, and shall lay his hand upon the bullock's head and kill the bullock before the Lord. Repent, sinners, or burn. Very good. Right, okay. Let's have a go at this. See what we can do here. Well, you all know I can't play the piano anyway. <laughs> Jane, you're a real sport. Give her a round of applause, joining in and helping me like that. But you get the point. It kind of illustrates it. You know, when we were together on Friday planning, as we always do for the service and everything, and I suggested that, it was just like, you know, she does what she does, and she does it blinking brilliantly. I can't do that. And with the greatest respect, she's very comfortable in her own skin knowing she's not going to do this. And that's okay. We are different. It's fine. It doesn't work when you're trying to do something you're not designed to do. We're designed differently. I did come across this as a gentle reminder. We are all different, Steve. Okay. <laughs> I know you want to be Rafa Benitez, <laughs> but maybe God hasn't designed you that way. Some people find that they are square pegs in round holes. You know that as a church, we are desperately trying to encourage all of you. The pastors are invested in this and it's going to carry on, not just through things like the network course, but we want people to really discover how they fit in the body of Christ. What it is God has gifted you uniquely to do so that we can work together for his glory here. God, God shaped us. He made us. We're unique so that we could overflow with his awesomeness on other people around us. He calls us to accept who we are. Please hear that this morning. Be your self. He's calling one of us to do big things, small things, things behind the scenes, things up front. Whatever the task, whatever the role, don't forget to be you. So this morning I want to share with you the story about an unsung hero from the Bible. The story is about a guy who many of us may never have really heard of, or if we have, we've probably not given him really a second thought. But it turns out he's a guy of huge importance when it comes to the New Testament, to the early church, and to the spread of Christendom. His name is Ananias, and his story is contained in just half a chapter of the book of Acts, in chapter 9. And some of my friends are going to come and help me with the reading this morning. So, back to Saul, this fuming, raging, hateful man who wanted to kill every one of the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest in Jerusalem for authorization to purge all the synagogues in Damascus, to purge them of followers of the way of Jesus. His plan was to arrest and chain any of Jesus' followers, women 
as well as men, and transport them back to Jerusalem. He traveled north towards Damascus with a group of companions. So imagine this. Suddenly, a light flashes from the sky around Saul, and he falls to the ground at the sound of a voice. Then he hears these words. I am Jesus. I am the one you are attacking. Get up. Enter the city. You will learn there what you are to do. These are shocking, unexpected words that will change his life forever. He waits for three days, completely blind. Doesn't eat a bite or drink a drop of anything. Meanwhile, in Damascus, a disciple named Ananias had a vision in which the Lord Jesus spoke to him. So Ananias went and entered the house where Saul was staying. He laid his hands on Saul and called to him. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, sent me so you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At that instant, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see. Then he went into every, the very synagogues he had intended to purge, proclaiming, Jesus is God's Son. Thank you, friends. It's an amazing little account. One, as I said, that you might not have really taken much interest over. We only ever look at that account when we're talking really about Saul and his dramatic conversion. Ananias very often just gets overlooked. What we learn from this story is that nothing we do with God's power happens without God first calling us to do it. So hear this very carefully this morning. Our response to God's calling is absolutely critical. Our response to God's calling is absolutely critical. How do you respond when God asks you to do something? It's very interesting if you look at the way Ananias responds. His initial response, here I am, Lord. I mean, we're so eager and ready to show ourselves to God, aren't we? Heck, as like we are. It's never quite, wow, God, I can't wait to see how you're going to use me. The truth is, if we're honest, it's not always easy to get Christians to be honest. We, most of us, have these preconceived notions that God's going to use us in this way or, or this way. 
we have ideas that we want to come to fruition. And it's not always like that, is it? We think things like, oh, I'm going to be the greatest preacher the world has ever seen. I'm going to sing on stage at Wembley Arena. I'm going to lead a revival. And you can put in whatever you like. Sometimes we say, here I am, Lord. And what we're saying in actual fact is, God, here I am. And let me tell you what you're going to do. Truth is, how we see ourselves being used by God and how He actually uses us can be two very different things. Why? Because most of the time the things God wants us to do require us being willing to lay down things and sacrifice a whole lot of stuff and probably make some adjustments to our lives or our lifestyle. So quite naturally, we respond with our own selfish desires. We say to God, yeah, yeah, here I am, yeah, yeah. My life's jar's ready for you to fill, yeah, yeah. But rather than doing what we want, God usually shares something with us that wasn't in our plans. In actual fact, though, we soon find out it's exactly what our life needed. For Ananias, God called him to help a man who'd spent the last several months persecuting the church. This guy had gone around murdering people. He'd gone around actively engaged in seeking out Christians and to bring them back to Jerusalem where they would be tortured and killed. What's God really calling you to do? Because I don't know about you, I think that's a tough one on Ananias. I don't think it was an easy call. And for many of us sat here this morning or listening to this online, the truth is, for us too, what God is calling us to do may well be awkward, may well be difficult, may well cost us something, may well be scary. God might well be saying to us this morning, I want you to stop doing such and such. He may well be saying to you, I want you to do this. Or maybe he's saying, look, you're a great Sunday school teacher, and maybe, yeah, okay, maybe you would be a good youth worker, but I need you to start serving more and being involved in this area of the church, because that's where I can use you. What is it that God is calling us to do? Where all too often we're telling him what we want to do, rather than listening to what he wants for us. Oftentimes, truth be told, God's calling is actually one that takes us out of being comfortable and into being conformable, to being more and more like Jesus. And truth be told, what's our response? Most of the time, it's like Ananias. I love the way the guy responds. He responds straight away, doesn't he? But Lord... But Lord, what are you doing? Lord, no flipping way. You want me to do what? See if you recognize yourself in this statement. Our availability to God can quickly change when we find out what he's actually asking us to do. Recognize yourself in that? 
when we actually find out what he wants us to do, suddenly, hmm, not sure. Can you imagine Ananias that fateful morning? Gets up like all good Christians do. Good morning, Jesus. What a lovely day. Is that the way you get up every Monday? I'm so ready and eager to serve you today. Ready to go. Oh, it's going to be an awesome day, God. What is it you want? You what? You want me to do what? And you notice how quickly his response changes? But, 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 Lord, Lord, I've heard rumors. I've heard rumors about this fellow. He's an evil man. He's caused great harm to your special people in Jerusalem. And I love that. You notice it? I've heard. How many times do we let things we've supposedly heard stop us doing stuff? Or seen come to that? How often have I, as a pastor, heard people say, oh, I'd heard, blah, 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 blah. But Lord, I've heard. I've heard if I stop playing this sport, I won't have any more friends. But Lord, I've heard if I become friends with that person, nobody else will like me. But Lord, I've heard if I don't see this film, people are just going to make fun of me. Oh Lord, I've heard if I don't have sex with my boyfriend, he'll break up with me. Lord, I've heard during a quiet time means I'm going to have to get up three hours early. Lord, I've heard becoming involved means I don't get to have fun anymore. Here's the deal. Some of our I've heard may well be true, but an awful lot of it isn't. The truth is, what we've heard from God trumps anything and everything else. And what have you heard from God this morning? What have you heard from God as you've eaten bread and drunk wine? Have you heard this morning how awesome he thinks you are, how lavishly he wants to love on you, that he is totally and utterly invested in you as an individual. He wants you to be the best possible version of yourself that he created you to be. He wants you to hear above all the clamor of trends and fashion and culture, he wants you to hear what he's got to say. I think at times we need to stop listening to everybody else and take some time out to hear just what God has to say to us. Because if we don't, as we'll see with Ananias, if we don't listen to God, the danger is we could miss something blinking awesome. God goes on to tell Ananias, doesn't he, how he plans to use Saul, yes, yes, Ananias, I know you've heard some pretty bad things about him, but listen to me. I'm going to use him. I'm going to use this bad guy, Saul, to spread the Christian message far and wide to many people, to many nations. And you notice, as Ananias listens to God, his response quickly changes. No longer is it, but, 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 Lord, Suddenly it's, okay, I'll go. And that's the crucial thing. He reaches a point where he acknowledges he needs to go. 
God can't use you the way he designed to use you unless you are willing to go. Ananias went. I'm sure he was quaking in his boots. He had fear in his heart, but he had a blinking lot of faith as well, eh? And he went. This little, almost inconsequential guy, Ananias, seemingly obscure and ordinary, goes to help a guy who's been a persecutor of the church, but turns out he's going to be a pretty big deal in the world of awesomeness. Paul. It wasn't easy. It was frightening. It was scary. It was hard. There are going to be times in all of our lives that when God calls us to do something, it's not going to be easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy. Let's not kid ourselves. When God tells us to go and share our faith with our friends, when he tells us to go and invite people to come to church or to join Alpha, when he says to us, I want you to lead a Bible study, or I want you to be involved in the ministry of the church, or I want you to give your money or, or, or a possession to help the needy, when he says, I want you to go over and speak to that person that nobody else is bothering with, that's not easy. But there are times when we've just got to do it. When you are willing to go, no matter how big, small, or scary the task, the wonderful thing is that awesomeness, the awesomeness of God can overflow from you to a stack load of other people. Ananias was used by God in a dramatic way. You know the story. You've heard a bit of it this morning. Paul's blindness, or Saul's blindness, is, is cured. I mean, that's a pretty awesome thing. Hey, Ananias, what did you do yesterday, mate? No, nothing much. I went to Greg's, had a pasty, healed a blind fella, paid my taxes, no big deal. I don't think it was like that, do you? I think he was probably like, you'll never believe it! I, I went and met Saul, you know that guy everybody's on about, he's been persecuting us a lot and taking us back to Jerusalem? You'll never believe this. God spoke to me and said, go and see him. I laid my hands on him. He only got healed. How awesome is that? I think it was a bit more like that. I honestly believe we will see God do some pretty awesome things when we are prepared to answer his call. To open our life jars so that he can fill them with all that he has made you and me to be. Ananias had guts, but he had faith too. And he went, and he did what God asked him to do. That's the amazing thing, isn't it? We need a faith that responds to God in a greater way than our fear. Saul becomes Paul. The world is changed. But imagine this. What if Ananias had said, no? Think about that. What if Ananias had said, thanks ever so much for the offer? No. What if he'd said, not on your Nelly? What if he'd been a bit more sure than that? You insert your own response. How on earth would the story then have panned out? Here is a man 
who's going to be met by Ananias, who's going to change the face of the world. You and I are sat here this morning because of Paul's ministry. There is no shadow of a doubt about that, but I'm telling you, if Ananias hadn't gone that day, you and I may well be home having lunch and have never have come here. Would know nothing about Jesus. Would not have an interest in church, Christian faith. What if he'd chosen to run, to hide, to argue with God? What if he turned around to God and said, you've got to be flipping joking. Me? I'm a dad. I've got responsibilities, pal. I've got bills to pay. I'm busy. Without Ananias' obedience, Saul may well have remained blind and worse still, could have become even more bitter against Christians and perhaps even more relentless in his persecution against them. Then you and I would well and truly be stuffed. I was afraid when God called me to be a pastor. I didn't feel qualified. It's something I've struggled with throughout my ministry. It's something at times I still struggle with. But I'll tell you, as I stand before you this morning, I have greater faith that God knows what he's doing than any fear I may have. When you stop listening to the voices of the world, when you replace fear with faith, you can become somebody else's Ananias. So you may think that you're inconsequential, you may think you don't matter. You may think that you are insignificant in the grand scheme of things. I'm asking you this morning, what's God saying to you? What's he telling you to do? Because as your pastors, we want to facilitate that. We want to walk with you. We want to seek to discern with you what God is saying. You know, Ananias went to see Paul. Paul became an Ananias to Timothy. You look at the way he released young Timothy. We all have the opportunity to be an Ananias. So I want to ask you this morning, friend, what's God calling you to do? What are you scared about? God has a plan. God has a purpose. We need to trust him. Would you bow your heads with me? What is it this morning that you're running away from? What is it that you are fearful of? Has God been speaking to you about something? Is there something that you need to say sorry for and stop doing? Is God calling upon you to make a sacrifice for him? Is he asking you to get involved in a particular area of ministry or service? Is he challenging you about your relationships in your family? or outside in a circle of friends?